Yes, welcome back, Looney listeners. You are listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. This is episode 94, and I am absolutely thrilled to have a special guest on what is a, a special segment tonight. So, um, yes, I am your High Priest of Conchu Ray, and if you had done your homework and looked up into the night sky, you would have seen it was a a full moon around the weekend. Uh, so, with the full moon, Conchu has decreed that we do a Moon and Stars review, and that is basically uh, us looking at a Moon Knight in, in film or TV. Now, I know a lot of you are screaming to have Moon Knight you know, on a Netflix show or, or, or on, a, on a cable show or in a movie format, um, we have reviewed um, some fan films of, of Moon Knight um, so far, which has been a very, very fun indeed. Um, but tonight, I am absolutely thrilled to have with me uh, a massive Moon Knight fan. He's also a, a co-host of a podcast called Capes on the Couch, where um, comics get counselling. Uh, we have Anthony Sitko. Anthony, Welcome. Thank you very much, Ray. It is an honor and a privilege to, to be here uh, with you, uh, I, especially given the, the time zone difference yeah. <laughs> from the U.S. to, to Australia. Uh, look, it always makes podcasting special, I think, I think for both parts. So uh, for me, it's uh, uh, heading towards the, the, tw- the you know, late night, the witching hour. For you, it's early morning. So uh, yeah, this will be a, a, very, a very cool chat to have with you. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely been looking forward to this one for a while now. Yep, and for loonies who um, have read our newsletter in the lead-up to this, um, should know that actually Anthony is on the show because Anthony is the writer of a Moon Knight um, script for a film. So we thought it would be great for our Moon and Stars segment to have Anthony on uh, and to discuss his script. So what we'll be doing, we'll, we'll actually be just talking a little bit um, just to get to know Anthony, of course, but also to look at the background of the script as well as discuss, I guess, his his um, his take on Moon Knight for how he'd like to see it on a film. But before that, Anthony, I'd really like to... Um, pay a massive shout out to your podcast capes on the couch um would you be able to let our fair loonies know a little bit about uh, capes on the couch sure uh capes on the couch uh we've been doing it uh by the time this airs it will have been for over a year and it is my my best friend uh, from many many years is a board certified psychiatrist uh, here in the states in new jersey and we're both big comic book fans, and one of the things that we wanted to do was figure out a way to destigmatize some of the discussions around mental health. Mm-hmm. And we figured that since comic books and the comic book characters and the movies are all uh, so pervasive in the pop culture zeitgeist, there are myriad comic book characters with various mental health issues and a lot of those issues are not always necessarily depicted in an accurate fashion so one of the things that we thought we could do was describe uh, what these characters are going through um, in somewhat of a realistic term how would you treat these characters and then 
One of the fun things that we do at the end of every episode is we play a little role-playing skit wherein I play the patient, quote-unquote, and Doc, uh, Doc Issues, my co-host, plays the, the doctor, and we treat each of the characters. And we've done uh, dozens of, of characters. We did Moon Knight. Uh, was one of the episodes. I believe it was our fourth episode very early on. We've done some big names. We've done you know Cyclops, Captain America. Uh, later today, uh, uh, we're doing The Punisher, and we've then we've done some more uh, some lower level lower tiered characters. We did uh, Booster Gold. Mm-hmm. We and it's not just Marvel and DC. We've done Walking Dead. We did Spawn. So it's really run the gamut of comic book characters. Um, and you can find all of our episodes on our website, which is CapesOnTheCouch dot live. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are available on all the social medias at Capes on the Couch. Yeah, and I highly recommend it, Looney's. Look, I've I mentioned these guys before. Uh, you. you may have heard uh, their ad played on our shows previously as well. But I think, Anthony, that you and Doc Issues really have struck gold, I I guess, with this idea. It really had um, excited me when when I came across it. Uh, The first thing I thought of when I saw your podcast um, and read what it was about, before I even listened to it, um, there were a lot of... um, uh, you know, I like to browse bookshops and stuff, and there were a lot of books that um, spoke of the psychology of, you know, particular films. Like, I remember watching, uh, reading one on uh, The Matrix. Uh, um, uh, not only, yep. there was things on philosophy and psychology on, on it. Uh, and I think it's just fantastic that you've actually applied that to, yeah, uh, to comic books, which are massive at the moment. I mean, you don't have to be a, a comic book fan. Uh, if you're a moviegoer or, or someone who likes watching TV, uh, you'd be familiar with the uh, the universe there. Uh, but it's such an interesting marriage, I think, of psychology and, and comics, and it really works. Um, and I think the rapport that you have with Doc Issues is, um, uh, has a lot to do with that. And, and um yeah, so you guys go way back, right? Oh, yeah. We, I, we've been friends since we were in high school together. Yeah. We were best men at each other's weddings. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm godfather to his daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So wow. he's he's a brother to me. So I've, I've known him a long, long time. Yeah. And, and the synergy, I think, that um, works really well. You mentioned um, the, uh, the plays that you have, uh, the skits towards the end. Um, a really nice idea um like recurring to happen in every show to actually put literally put the comic book character on the couch and have them talk to doc issues um um i know that you both co-write uh co-write these scripts as well but geez uh doc issues he, he gets um <laughs> he gets um put through the ringer a bit yeah he does he does uh you know and that was something that we you know, we, we joked about uh, very early on because our first episode was Eddie Brock mm-hmm. and then our second episode was The Joker. Mm. And we, when we were writing them, we said there's basically no way that he would realistically survive an encounter with either of these people. And then it just became uh, sort of a, a running gag yeah. that, uh, that, you know, if it's a villain, he's going to die. Um, <laughs> yeah. And sometimes even if it's a hero, there's a good chance that he's going to die. Um, so, uh, you know, it it just makes it for a lot of fun, and, and yeah. he's game for everything, uh, and I appreciate that, and that's one of the things I love about him is is he's he's willing to go along with it, yeah. so. Yeah, I mean, also as well, I remember listening to, because I've listened to um, a lot of your, your episodes, uh, there was one with, um, there's a pop psychology, uh, it was it was with uh, about the Incredible Hulk, 
Yes, Popcorn Psychology. Uh, popcorn yep, Psychology. Ours, yep. so, yeah, really. That was really entertaining, actually. And, and the Hulk, my God, he, he has a lot of skeletons in his closet there. Just a bit. Just a bit. Um, but uh, they they had a lot of fun with it as well. Uh, and Yeah. Uh, it actually, well, I, I can't say it didn't, didn't surprise me because um, I'm not too familiar with them but um it's good to see that you have you have guests on who are kind of you know willing to to, to go along for the ride i mean acting can be a, a bit of a daunting thing um you have multiple roles in it you literally play all the different characters do you um do you find that hard at first or do you have a background in acting or well i've been i've done i've acted a since I was a kid, I've done bits here and there. I was in radio for mm-hmm. a couple of years. I, I was a newscaster. I tried to get into voiceover acting and doing characters because I've been doing impressions literally my entire life. Yeah, wow. And uh, I get it from my father. Uh-huh. So that was another thing that when we were discussing how would we do this, that the podcast came up and, the, oh, this gets – oh, I can do voices. And so <laughs> it was uh, – yeah. I really uh, – some of my favorite ones were, I think, The Joker because I yeah. did – all of the different Joker iterations. I was the Cesar Romero Joker. I was the Nicholson Joker. I was the Mark Hamill Joker. I was yeah. the Heath Ledger Joker. And I got to transform back and forth, um, you know. And then uh, the anytime I do a woman's voice, it's always interesting because <laughs> yeah. do I pitch correct? You know, how high do I make my voice naturally? Yeah. Um, you know, when I did the Punisher, it was very. I was basically doing my best uh, John Bernthal impression. Basically, you know, just don't move the jaw. And yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's 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 fun to try and figure out how to how to make each character sound realistically speaking. Mm. You've got so, a. To be honest, as well, you've got a really nice timbre to your voice as well. So I think it it's quite amenable to. Um, for you to to do impressions, uh, so well, thank you. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, I think it's a uh, really really fun to listen to. So, yeah, so Looney's definitely. Um, we'll put your details as well on the show notes, uh, and definitely check it out. We're going to be sprucing it all over our social platforms as well when this uh, when this episode airs. Um, and likewise, we will obviously be you know posting the, the bejesus out of this. Oh, cheers, <laughs> cheers! I actually remember when I first came across you guys. Uh, I think it was Doc Issues. He was uh, he was quite kind of uh, tongue in cheek, saying, "Oh, uh, Anthony, there's um, you know, I think you found another the other handful of Moon Knight fans out there." And I was going, oh, "Hang on, no, yeah. you'd be surprised. There are, there are a lot of a lot of Moon Knight fans out there." And no, we- he he gives me a lot of flack. He, he appreciates the character, but he is yeah. certainly not the aficionado that I am. Well, um, I my, think very few are. My, like we are. My gosh, I uh, we'll get to that very shortly as well. Um, I'd like to really touch upon your your Mooney fandom, uh, but heading into this anyway, uh, look. Just abstractly speaking, um, before we get into, obviously, into your script as well, um, Moon Knight, look, just as, as an abstract concept for you, why why does he appeal to you so much, like, as opposed to other other heroes um, that you may like? It's one of those things where I can honestly say that I can't remember a time that I was really into comic books and I wasn't into Moon Knight. Right. Um, so as but as far as as what draws him what draws me to him mm-hmm. i think it's just the from a from a personal standpoint it's the multiplicity of his nature mm-hmm. and because 
he has the various identities. Um, me personally, not that I have the, the dissociative identity disorder or I, I play multiple characters, but in my, in my personal life and mm -hmm. my professional life, I wear so many different hats mm, that okay. I, have to, I have to transition from one role to another, sometimes very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I have to go from being the, the hard-assed, you know, take no prisoners, take no nonsense type person when dealing with one particular issue at work to, I then have to be, you know, when I come home, I'm obviously not that person to my wife, mm -hmm. um, and to my family and yet, and then there's with my friends. And so I have uh, sort of a very fluid nature, yeah. I guess. And so when reading about Moon Knight, uh, which actually does sort of uh, tie into the script, which I'll get to, um, you know, when we start talking about that, yep. um, just the character appealed to me from that perspective because here's a guy who has to constantly be different versions of himself. Mm -hmm. And yet, so there's that struggle to always maintain the authenticity, that core of authenticity, no matter whether, whether for Moon Knight's case, whether he's being Steven or Jake or Mark or Moon Knight, what have you. And then for me, regardless of whatever position I'm in, whatever version of me that I'm being, that is always still authentically Anthony. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of connected to him on that level. And then if on a more shallow level, I just thought the costume was really badass. And uh, I just, you know, I, yeah. I just appealed, it appealed to me on that very graphic basic level that, it, oh, he's just yeah. cool with the cape and the, you know, the white and everything, yeah. uh, the moon. So yeah, a, a lot of loonies um, that we've spoken to as well, uh, they were introduced to Moon Knight funnily enough through like, video games, Ultimate Alliance. And it was for that very fact, the aesthetic, like he looked like just a kick-ass character and 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 that seems to be a common thread for a lot of loonies so um yeah not surprised at all that that's a, a big thing for you as well uh and you're absolutely right the complexities of moon knight just make him so different from anything else the the only thing i well, while you were explaining it then that i was thinking uh would be similar but in a simpler level on a simpler level would be say like your incredible hulk where you have bruce banner and you have the hulk and there's that running thread of the essence of um you know of, of bruce banner in the hulk say but i guess even then you can think of well you know uh, who comes who comes first you know is there a bit of hulk in there or is there a bit of banner in hulk um anyway um yeah that that is a fascinating fascinating um part of Moon Knight and incidentally Anthony as well though, yeah. um, I guess from that I'm just wondering I'm just curious uh, what was the first um, volume of Moon Knight that you read then that would be uh, volume one issue one. Oh, really uh, the, okay you know yep yep the, the mentioned Kevich okay you know they you know to do what they must they you know they become one to do what they must or whatever the the tagline on the cover is yes uh, that that famous uh, number one issue and I found that at my local comic shop for I think five bucks yeah. and wow. I thought I thought it was a steal because yeah. I thought oh my god this is the first Moon Knight book yeah. and it's only five dollars <laughs> I didn't realize that wasn't his first yeah, appearance well, yes yeah. so. I was like, oh, wow, cool, five bucks, and I get this this awesome comic book. Yeah. You know, it's not in, like, the best condition, but still. And then I found out, <laughs> oh, yeah, you can get volume one, issue one for, for a couple of bucks anywhere. Because yeah. that issue is not the not the, the, um, the big one. It's yes. not the first appearance. 
Yeah, and that kind of like segues into <laughs> my next question, which is, is your Moon Knight collection? So we're talking tip of the iceberg there when you bought uh, Volume 1, Issue 1. Uh, now, Anthony and Looney listeners who have been frequenting our ITK group, uh, you would have seen Anthony's collection there. Anthony posted um, 20-odd photos of like authentic awesome Moon Knight stuff. So any loon, any Looney or Moon Knight fan would be salivating at those photos. Anthony, um, a very Im- impressive, impressive collection indeed. Uh, can you just tell Thank us you. broadly then what, what this collection encapsulates? Uh, I have uh, basically every solo uh, issue that he's had, literally from that volume one, issue one, all the way up through to the last of the, the Max Bemis run. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to, I think I have, so I have every single one of those, yeah. plus I think 90-something percent of, 85 to 90 percent of the variants. Um, oh. There's only a handful of the, the very, very expensive variants <laughs> that I would I would kill for, but my wife really tamps down on my expenditures <laughs> on comic books. Yeah. And in addition to those, I have, I would say, probably 85 percent of his appearances in other books, whether it's the ultimate, uh, the ultimate universe, I have all of those with the ultimate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have comics where he's literally. I think there's a Fantastic Four where he's swinging by in one panel, just as <laughs> like he's not he's not relevant to the story at all. He's literally yep. just swinging by the skyline. It's like a zoomed out shot of the Baxter Building, and he's just swinging by. <laughs> and I have that one because he's in it. Yeah. If he's mentioned in it, if if he's you know, on a computer screen in a background, I have it. Um, I have, and and the, uh, and I have so many autographs because I go to New York Comic Con every year, and I bring. You can ask my wife, hundreds of books, and I literally lay them out um, by order yeah. of Artist Alley, and I I go through and I go, okay, I need this person. You know, did lettering on this book. This person did the inks on this book, uh, and and I have Post It notes. Yeah. Um, Man, and you I, are. I go through Artist Alley. You are so lucky to be able to go to New York Comic Con so, so easily. That's so awesome. Far out. You would. Uh, I just imagine you in a huge with a huge duffel bag or something, just just lugging your stuff. It's, it's a big roller suitcase. Yep. <laughs> oh, and I, I cosplayed at the. You can see on, yeah. on the Facebook group. I did cosplay as the Declan Shalvey. That was an amazing uh, day to. Because I took the Declan Shalvey version of the story, uh, of the costume, rather. So it was mostly, you know, black with the white yeah. accents and everything. And uh, and I described it in the photo. Uh, as I had walked over to his table, he got up. Yeah. And he's the nicest guy. If you ever have the opportunity to meet Declan Shalvey, uh, mm-hmm. please uh, shake his hand, talk to him. He's an amazingly wonderful, warm-hearted guy. And he got up and it, his, he's got the... the uh, most awesome Irish accent. He's like, I'd like to take a picture with you. I'm like, he goes, I've never seen anybody do my costume like this yeah. before. So, so he he shaking my hand, and then he goes, Would you mind pretending to break my wrist for me? So oh, he, I, that was so his I, idea, was it? That oh. was his idea. Oh, yeah. So I okay. bent it back, cool. and I was like, ah, and he's he's on the ground, and he's writhing in pain, and and yeah. like I said, this was right around when it was announced that he was going to be leaving after the issue six of the uh, Alice run. Yeah. And so I posted it to Twitter, and I said, oh, I told him if he couldn't, if he wasn't going to draw Moon, <laughs> that he was never going to draw anything again. And then he retweeted it. Jordy Belair retweeted it. Then Dan oh, Slott retweeted it. So cool. And I was just getting all these notifications from all these comic professionals for like a day and a <laughs> half. And on my Twitter feed, it was it was awesome. And then every time I go to New York Comic Con, and he's there, he's always like, Oh, yeah, I remember you. 
you now. Yeah, you're the guy that cosplayed as my as my Moon Knight. I was like, yes, I am. So you're the one that broke my wrist. Awesome. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, Actually, that's such a cool cool idea from Declan Shelby do because it really does encapsulate Moon Knight, doesn't it? Like, there's a violence there. There's the effortless kind of you know I'm a superhero kind of thing, um, and yeah, I, I remember him tweeting uh, about his um, about the Hasbro Marvel Legends figure of Moon Knight and he I think he just gets chuffed obviously because he's designed the thing to actually see it in person that's his costume yeah so to see like the likes of yourself just walk up it's man how how what a thrill that would be like if you're a and then both times that Moon Knight has appeared uh in animation it's been the Declan Shalvey costume yeah true true um Secret Wars and the Avengers um that was we covered that in one of our episodes yeah the the Avengers Assemble and then the also uh the Spider-Man Spider-Man yeah the um the the Christmas special um, yep. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, you got it. You got the tip. You had to Declan Shelby. It is a it is a funky design. Um, and, and just quickly, then Anthony, what is your favorite um, Moon Knight costume? That's a hard one. We have posted it before. Uh, the favorite the favorite costume. Mm-hmm. I would I would have to go with the Shelby. Yeah. Um, yeah. The second, it's either the Shelby or the the Finch. Yeah, Finch is good. Man. Just because Finch's is just so brutal. It is. Um, just the way that the way that he draws it. He's so hulking. Yes. Um, It'd be hard to pull I mean, off. Obviously, it would be hard yeah. to pull off as a cosplayer, like you know. Um, so I think because uh, you know, unless you're <laughs> unless you're built like that, you'd have to actually draw all the kind of the muscle tone onto the suit, which I've seen on some cosplayers. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's another reason why I went with the Shalvi costume because the black hides the fact that I, I was in in good shape, but I'm yeah. not the most muscular guy. I'm more of a lean mm-hmm. yeah. type of build. Yeah, and it's nice so and sleek. So it, it worked better for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you also have, so I know you have um, some commissions, art commissions as well from the likes of Finch. Yep, Sienkiewicz, Finch. Oh. Uh, I have two Finch pieces. I have uh, just a couple of, of uh, other smaller name artists. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it's it's really cool. I have, uh, they're all, most of them are hanging up in my office. Yeah. I posted the, the photos again on the, the feed. Uh, I'm in the office right now, which is where I record. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're they're always with me. And I've got the, the Funko Pops and yes, yeah. the, the figurines. and Yeah, a couple of the old ones as well. It was really nice to see, the older figures. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, nice. I, I, so I think it's, um, I think it's safe to, oh, actually before, um, I'd have to, Give you the honor of, of, of classing you as an Omega level loony, um, Anthony. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, I, I have to say, I don't know too many Moon Knight fans that have Italian versions of the trade paper. No, bags. I saw that as well. So, oh my God. Yeah, that looks nice as well. The that was that was so amazing when I was on my honeymoon. I said, Honey, we have to get these. And she goes, Okay. <laughs> oh, she's, oh, bless her. She's, she's great. Sounds great. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right. Um, we, we do have a couple of Omega level loonies in our group as well. Um, just a quick shout out to Ben, Patrick, uh, Luis, uh, they are massively, uh, amount, but the likes of yourself, Anthony, you've cosplayed as well and you have written a script as well. So, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot going for, for you, uh, yeah, know, if we're to chalk up, um, you know, we're out to compare, not that we should, but it's just great to, I'm, I'm just always chuffed to, to, um, meet massive Moon Knight fans. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Omega. No, same here because I am, I, I, I'm sure many of our listeners can empathize. Many of your listeners can empathize mm-hmm. that we are the Moon Knight person in our respective social <laughs> circles. So like yeah. when the fan film broke, yeah. 
everybody was, did you see this? Did you see this? Yeah. You know, have you seen this? Yes, yes, I saw it. I saw it. And, and then everybody comes to you. Oh, my God, did you see this? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So anything Moon Knight related, we become the focal point yep. for like that half hour yeah, we, of whenever that news yeah, breaks. Exactly. We're the go-to, aren't we? Um, and yeah. uh, so, so let's talk about this um, Moon Knight fan film then. Uh, so this was released, uh, I think it was last month. I've got this on the notes. I think it was in January. It wasn't that long ago. Um, and yeah, it was in January. In January, yeah. And it was by filmmaker, uh, our director and writer, Caden Butera. Uh, and so this dropped on YouTube. Um, immediately there was a buzz in our community and, and everyone kind of dropped the links and it wasn't easy, it wasn't hard to, to just click onto it and, and find a link. Um, what were your thoughts on, on this fan film? I, I know this is going to sound like it's a hot take, uh, and I swear it is not. So, and, and play, no disrespect to the filmmakers, I was just kind. I felt kind of meh about it. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the intention was there, and I liked the um, the ideas. I just felt an execution. Some of them fell a little flat. Mm-hmm. I didn't really find the the actor playing Mark to be that um, to be that great at showing the range of emotions. I understand they were going for, for more of like a noir type storyline, which yeah. fits with some of, I would say probably the older uh, Mensch stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely dug the aesthetic uh, and some of the ideas and the way that they wanted to portray it. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think, and again, it, I'm, I'm really not trying to slag anybody because I, I love and appreciate the fact that they put so much effort and time and, and the, the care that they put into it is very evident. Mm-hmm. So I'm really trying to be, you know, tactful when I, when I critique it. Mm-hmm. It's just I felt that because of the, the style of story that they wanted to tell, it has to be uh, done in a very nuanced fashion. And I just felt that it was a little more ham-fisted than it should have been for some of the attempts of showing the the various personalities and and Mark struggling with the mental illness and all. Uh, I just thought that it was just a little over the top and it detracted from some of the the noir elements and the struggle that he was trying to show. Uh, I got what, again, I got what they were going for and I liked the idea. I just thought execution probably fell a little flat. I mean, overall, I give it probably like a seven out of 10. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not saying that it was, it was terrible by any means. And I also understand why they went with the costume decisions that they made. Mm-hmm. Having said that, uh, I think that probably came down to budget more than anything else because yeah. I do feel that there is a way that you could have done the Moon Knight classic costume without it looking like a KKK figure, but they may not. <laughs> have had well because that's what he said that yeah, they, right. they wanted to but it looked like a clansman and right. you know coming from america i totally get why you don't want to look like a clansman yeah. um but it was just one of those things that i just you know it looked like i don't know it looked like something out of like a video game yeah trying to be moon knight and i was just like oh man yeah yeah well uh, it definitely divided a lot of uh, a lot of fans um and i guess as you mentioned, if you if you do look and and critique, I guess how he portrays the the multiple identities of Mark Spector, uh, yeah, it isn't for me as well. It isn't really fleshed out that much. Um, I really did enjoy the, um, I guess the cinematography uh, for a fan film. I was just 
I did not expect that kind of level. Um, and uh, and the aesthetic, as you're saying, that noir kind of feel, I think he encapsulated really well. I can I can see where you're going with the kind of video game kind of thing. Uh, I thought the fight scenes were, were great. Um, and he obviously, he, he made the choices with, with the costume. Um and with with Mark, uh, the actor himself, I think he did like a decent job. Um, people were kind of put off by his ponytail, uh, you know. Um, I'm not too fussed with that as well. But uh, yeah, as far as the the more uh, the really the meat and bones of Moon Knight, uh, it wasn't as as I don't know, fleshed out as as I I would have thought, I guess. Uh, but you know, yeah, yeah, I liked the little Bushman tease at the end. I yeah. thought that was cool. Mm. But I, I think, again, like I said, the ideas were there, the heart was there. I think maybe if they had a little bigger budget to spend, yeah. and maybe cast a wider net as far as actors were concerned, mm-hmm. maybe get somebody a little different. Um, I, you know, the ponytail, frankly, wasn't even a, a big thing for me. Mm. I mean, it wasn't. I wouldn't put that in the, my list of top five complaints. Yep. It, I certainly, it's more like one of those little niggling things that just like, oh, and by the way, lose the ponytail. But yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there were other issues that I had with the film aside from the ponytail. So that one yeah. didn't phase me as much. Yeah, I really do hope Caden um, works on another one. I mean, he is, he is a big, uh, he has said himself as well, he's a big Moon Knight fan. So I'd really yeah, love- absolutely. I'd, yeah. I'd love to see something else. Yeah, and uh, and what did you think of the the writing, like the script itself? Like there was only one or two. There was actually one scene I could really think of off the top of my head that the dialogue sounded really a little dodgy. It was those two dudes uh, at the back of the cab, and um, and he goes, "Oh, should we be speaking about this? You know, in front of this guy, in front of the cabbie, you know." And I thought, "Well, yeah. that's a bit, that's a bit hammy." Uh, but yeah, what did you think of the writing? I, I like I said, I thought that it was it was pretty solid for the most mm-hmm, part, mm-hmm. Uh, given that it was more of a noir yes. type film. Yeah. Um, again, I thought it was it was a little ham fisted at times, particularly the the bit in the cab. I thought it was just too on the nose, and it sort of took me out for a second of the of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if that's the the type of f- story for Moon Knight that you're going for, that that yes. dark and gritty, um, you he definitely. Uh, got a lot of the tone down. Yes. So I just think maybe, again, you know, just a little more finesse on some of the, the script and, and some of the ideas, um, which, like I said, I, I gave it a seven, you know, I give it a seven out of 10. So it's it's there. And also, I think just from a larger perspective, the fact that this got such buzz that it did. I mean, it was on mm, sci-fi, yes. numerous articles that were covering this. Massive exposure. really speaks to the passion for it. And, and the desire to see the character done in live action, yeah. because I think, you know, anybody can put together a Spider-Man fan film or a Superman fan film. And mm-hmm. yeah, okay, that's nice. Add it to the pile. But Moon Knight is, as as you and I well know, is one mm-hmm. of those characters that is not majorly well known, but no. those who do know him love him. Yeah. And so... I think the passion that we loonies had for the film and the fact that Caden made this as a love letter to the fans and that we said, oh, my God, this is this is amazing. You know, we need this. Yeah. Hopefully somewhere Kevin Feige hears this and says, let's let's do something with the character. And Yeah, 
Oh, for sure. You know, maybe in phase four or moving forward after the Fox merger is done. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the, yeah. uh, I mean, what the situation is. I think he's proven in a fan film that uh, regardless of the choices of, of you know, the black um, the black coat and stuff like that, uh, that, you know, he can look, yeah, he can look kick-ass on, on film uh, and it can be done. Um uh, you know, without without potentially uh, depends on how you treat the costume. It, it could look really kind of cheesy, and I think he actually managed to to show a bit of um, uh, a bit of groundedness in, in it. So uh, yeah, uh, if any, yeah, I'd give it about seven seven or eight. Uh, I really did enjoy it, and like I said, I really hope that he does uh, he does pursue maybe a second one, and uh, if he's happy to take on board the the uh, the feedback from from the fans. Uh, yeah, love to love to see it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well. An- anyway, Anthony. Uh, speaking of <laughs> speaking of films, we are here um, in our Moon and Stars segment because we are looking and focusing on your script for the Moon Knight for for a Moon Knight film. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty of the actual script itself, uh, just a bit of background and. Um, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you, Anthony, was um, apart from obviously your obvious love for the character, uh, what kind of generated this idea to to write a, a script, a Moon Knight script? This was going back to about 2010, and there were uh, so the. MCU was still in phase one, and it was still in its very early stages. Mm-hmm. I think at this point, maybe uh, Iron Man 2 had just been released, mm-hmm. and there were reports on a lot of the websites, you know, comic book resources, comic book movie, etc., that said Marvel was looking to, uh, was listening to pitches from writers for some of their C and D list characters for smaller lower budget films in like the 20 to 40 million dollar range and i know that power pack was mentioned Mm -hmm. uh cloak and dagger was one of them iron fist and so they were looking for i guess smaller films that weren't necessarily going to be the big high level avenger name blockbusters Mm -hmm. and moon knight was a character that had appealed to me um again i'd known just a little bit about him and so I said, you know, here's a here's a low level guy. I mean, I think as much as we love him, we can agree he's C list. Yep. Um, and so I said, here's a guy who would fit perfectly. And when I read that volume one issue one, because I wanted to get a little more um, background on the character, mm-hmm. I read that first issue and I said, this is an origin story. Like, yep. this entire first issue is an origin story in and of itself. But what I noticed when I read it was that. And and certainly, you know, you've read the, the book many times yourself, mm-hmm. is the the fact that he becomes Stephen and Jake is glossed over in the book. It's just and he wakes up, you know, he's resurrected by Conchu and he returns to America and he becomes Jake Lockley and Stephen Grant and now he's also now he's Moon Knight. Yeah. And let's move on. And I said the problem with that is that may have worked for audiences reading the book in 1980. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work for film audiences yeah. in, you know, back then, like 2010, 2011. And so I said, I have to find a reason for this. And I have to find a way to depict the transition in a way that makes sense. And really early on with 
uh, some of the the stuff that was going on in the MCU. The first Iron Man was very, very grounded and very realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's really nothing fantastical in that movie outside of just some of the technology that was used. But literally everything in that first Iron Man is very rooted in reality. And even the Incredible Hulk film was very realistic. Yep. As realistic as a Hulk film can obviously be. Mm-hmm. And so the MCU at that point didn't really have anything fantastical and so one of the things that i was hoping to do was broaden the scope just a bit mm-hmm. and introduce a little bit more of the fantasy with respect to conchu and so on mm-hmm. but still give it the grounded realism and why would someone create these multiple identities and these multiple uh you know roles that they play and so i began talking to uh my my best friend Doc Issues, the co-host of, of Capes on the Couch with me, because mm-hmm. obviously he's a mental health professional. And so I had him I, I sort of sat him down and I asked him a lot of questions about, well, you know, what leads to this and what could trigger this and blah blah blah. And because I wanted to root the I wanted to, to root the psychology of the film in a, a sort of realism. And so I wanted to make it uh, understandable why Mark would have this break. And why he would introduce the identities and the notion that the identities weren't just names that he used. They were, they were individual personalities. And mm-hmm. this had been alluded to for many years throughout the books um, that each of the roles, it's not just you know, a name that he plays and when, he, when he's Jake, he puts on the fake mustache and when he's Steven, he takes it off. Like there's a, there's a mental switch yep. that happens. And I really wanted to portray that realistically um, or as realistically as I could while still maintaining, um, you know, trueness to the character. Yep. So that became sort of one of the, the driving uh, factors for me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and just trying to figure out a way to, to make that look realistic and make it a... a a psychological revenge film because really that first issue is all about him getting vengeance on Bushman and he's, you know, the moon's night of vengeance. Yes. So, so that really became the, the focal point of the film is not just the, the vengeance, but why he needed to take vengeance and what Conchu's influence was having on him and, yes. And uh, all of those psychological factors. Yeah. I mean, the, the scope of the, of the script is, is quite, um, is quite vast, I think, which is really great because it obviously, you know, we all know the, the origin, it spans, um, you know, continents and, uh, and it actually, we'll get to it a bit later, but it actually predates your, your script predates a lot of, um, things that happen later on in the the Moon Knight comics, which is really really cool to see. I mean, you must have been looking at those uh, later issues by the likes of um, by the likes of Lemire. Lemire, and, yeah, I, were, Lemire swear to God, I, when I was reading some of those Lemire <laughs> yeah. books, I had to put them down yeah. because I was so angry yeah. um, in a good way that he took so many of my ideas yeah. and. He put them into a comic book, and he did them better than I did. <laughs> um, like so much of that stuff with with Conchu uh, and yes. and the other void. I didn't call it the other void. I didn't use that name, mm-hmm. but that notion. Yeah, I had that in my scripts from 2010, 2011. and yes. the notion of you know Mark having the uh, the imaginary friend yes. when he was younger, and and then Lemire did it um, when you know. At, at, in the in the book, and I would read these books literally every week because because again I had the, the subscription and I would read them every month. Yep. And I, 
God damn it. He, he stole my idea. He didn't know he stole it from me, but he stole my idea, and he yeah. did it better than I did. So, yeah, so you have your script in one, on one hand, you got Lemire's coming, you got the other gun. What the? Come on. I got, yeah, I got just the spent. book in the other. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, God damn it. I mean, uh, apart from those as well, I was obviously, I was thinking um, as well the military aspects. I mean, uh, you know, watching the. We've we've been blessed with two seasons of The Punisher on Netflix, and that's very heavily, um, you know, to do with the the military. And um, and anyway, so what I thought that was very kind of innovative and hadn't been seen in the Marvel universe so far, and especially in the 2010 era, because we're talking, you know, we're talking obviously Tony Stark and, and Incredible Hulk, but is that military side that kind of grunt? Um, uh, you know that side of thing is, and and in your script really talks there. There's a lot of, um, I guess, specific military jargon, which kind of really adds a lot to it as well. Um, but yeah, it's um, I guess from that as well. Had you written any other scripts, or had you had dealings with other pros that have um, informed you in how to write the Moon Knight script? No, no. Uh, yeah. Literally, that first draft, uh, which I wrote by hand mm. uh, on on notebooks. I still have all of the original notebooks with all of my notes, cool. um, you know, and the the storylines because I have it mapped out as a trilogy. Because um, not just the notion of oh, hey, let's make a trilogy for a franchise purpose, but there is an overarching story from one uh, from one film to the next that really um, addresses Mark's take uh, and how he moves forward. Um, And, uh, you know, particularly the second film, I think would have been very interesting for me to write because of what it meant. I really wanted in the second film, uh, break down the essence of who Moon Knight is. You know, in the first film, we Mm -hmm. we introduce him to the the fans. In the second film, uh, I wanted him to lose everything I, I really wanted to make it a film where you you watch it and you go how could anyone come back from this and yeah. how can a hero come back from this and i think because it makes for a much more triumphant story and a much more uh you you earn your happy ending yeah and so i was going to have him lose he was going to lose marlene he was going to lose Ooh. his powers because in in my version of the film he does start off with mm-hmm. the the moon-based powers yeah um he would lose uh his father would die and that uh that would come into play he would gain and lose midnight man or a midnight as his mm-hmm. as his sidekick yeah and so there was there was that uh, sense of betrayal there uh he would basically lose everything and yet he would rise um as a hero and so that uh to me was going to be uh something something very fun because in in the unlikely miraculous event that i managed to make it to marvel studios and pitch them the story i figured while i'm here hmm. let me pitch you a full trilogy um yeah cool of, of storylines so yeah that, that, that's great i really love uh, i really appreciate these these large brush strokes that you that you paint over this trilogy because uh look let's face it um that to me is the is the best sort of journey for a hero um it would piss off a lot of um comic book fans like we've seen it before with with iron fist and stuff 
um, where the writers have taken um, huge decisions, um, but to, to to create this sort of journey that you're that you're um, describing, Anthony, um, and it does rub a lot of the I don't know how shall I say a lot more of the traditional fans up the wrong way, um, but that just sounds exciting, you know, um, to have Moon Knight kind of rise above it all. Um, yeah, yeah, that that. Yeah, that would work really and well. And then the third film would be based largely on the Blood Brothers storyline. Ah, uh, I was going cool. to I was going to introduce Randall in the third one. Um, Punisher and, in there as well. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what's funny? Yeah. At the time when I was writing it, uh, I I because I know Punisher was obviously involved in the original, mm-hmm. um, but I did not know what the rights were. And I think even uh. when I originally wrote it. Uh, Punisher was not involved yes. or they didn't have the rights to Punisher so I didn't want to write him into the story oh. and so uh, actually I introduced uh, Tigra in the second film oh yeah <laughs> um, as as a fun foil yeah. for Moon Knight and because I wanted to play off the notion that she was very comfortable in her skin and being a hero yes and really revels in that role and Mark did not yes um, a bit, a bit and, of a nod to the West Coast Avengers yeah as well? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so so Tigra was going to play a lot of the Punisher-esque role in the Blood Brother storyline. Ah, um, cool. And, and to, to follow up on some of the stuff that had been done in the second film. And then obviously, of course, Marvel Studios got the rights back. So, um, mm-hmm. And then I, I stopped working on it for years. So uh, you know, it wasn't until we started talking about this podcast and everything. And I said, oh, yeah, by the way, I wrote a script. And you <laughs> said, well, let's talk about it. Yeah. I said, oh, Jesus, I better try and <laughs> you know rekindle the the creative flame so to speak on some of those things um so but i I still have not gotten around to actually writing anything for the second and third films Mm -hmm. other than just a brief synopsis like literally just one page like this this and then this and these are the things that happen yeah nothing more than that and that's kind of how it all starts as right as well right i mean that's um is that that's how you kind of started this script for with the synopsis that that usually comes i don't know i'm just wondering as as um, someone who writes scripts. Do do you just map it out like that first, just a synopsis, and then you kind of um, break it into into acts or whatever, and then and then expand out on those acts. Yeah, basically that's yeah. that's how it was. I came up with very broad strokes for each of the three films, yep. and then I said, well, let me start on the first one, obviously first and foremost, mm-hmm. and then um, that one became more of a, of a treatment. And then from the treatment to the script and then breaking it down. And it's funny to look back at the one-page synopsis that I have for the first film yeah. <laughs> and see some of the things that have stayed throughout each iteration of the script and then how far it's changed and progressed because as I'm writing it, you know, and I know it sounds like I, I want to I stab myself for saying this because <laughs> it sounds so trite and hackneyed, but the characters tell me where they want to go and the story tells me what it wants to do. Oh, okay. Um, which just like gag me with a spoon for even saying that. <laughs> but it's but it's it's true. Like you're writing it and you just go, you know, like as you get more comfortable writing and as you get more comfortable understanding and appreciating the characters, mm-hmm. you you understand what would be an organic choice for them to make and it just progresses from there. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, you know, we we've got to get to discussing this um the script uh, in in depth soon. Um, so one final thing, I guess I'll ask you just with the background of the script before we head into it. Uh, fan casting, then Anthony, had you any ideas or preconceptions of who you'd like to see in the roles of? Uh, let's let me just chuck out a few there for you. A um, few odd ones, obviously Mark uh, Frenchy. 
how about Bo Olsen or uh, the likes of Carmen? Any any uh, any ideas there? For it's funny when writing the script, I really envisioned them as as comic book characters. And, okay. Um, and so when I wasn't seeing real people necessarily yeah, right. in my head, I was able to visualize certain scenes in a very cinematic fashion. Um, there were certain certain moments that uh, I can still to this day, like I, if I could take my visualization and project it to you on a screen, you would go, holy shit, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> one particular is Bushman killing uh, Dr. Alrun. Yeah. Um, that that scene that moment has literally never changed from draft one because that was right. one sequence where I go, I nailed this yeah. and I don't have to do anything else to it. Uh, Dr. Alreun, I actually saw as Sam Neill. Oh, uh, I don't that'd know be why. good. That'd be very good. Yes. yes. Um, sort of playing on, I guess, the Alan Grant uh, type type story. Okay. Um, type role. Uh, I never saw anybody as Mark mm-hmm. necessarily. Uh, the only one, and of course I would have had to have access to a time machine, is, and I don't remember the actor's name, he's on Hawaii Five-0. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, he's Steve on Hawaii Five-0, <laughs> I think, but like 10 years ago, because I think he's a little yeah. old now. Yeah, right. But 10 years ago, I think he would have made a fantastic uh, Mark Spector. Um, yeah. But again, I I didn't really see the the characters in real okay. in real life. I or I should I'll, I'll rephrase that. I saw them in my head as real people, but not as anyone identifiable. Like yeah. they were just they were real people that looked like the comic book characters. I, I know what you mean. So like, so you're just imagining so, it. But there's um someone who has the brown hair. You know the the scar on on the eyebrow. Yeah, exactly. You know Mar- Marlene. Marlene yeah. is you know a blonde, and and we can get into some of the the things about Marlene because I really wanted to try and beef up her storyline and yeah. more than just eye candy yeah. uh, in the script. Yeah, look, but, but I didn't see them as as real people or real. Identifiable actors. Okay, fair enough. Um, just to throw it out there, since you um, you said Sam Neill, which I think is a fantastic casting. Um, Doctor, how do you pronounce it? Al Rayon. Al Rayon. Al Rayon. That's Al-Rayon. how I've always okay. said it. I it's just, just said, it's an interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting you know, combination. It's the A U. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting combination of vowel sounds there. True. Um, I would just play. I'd say Charles Dance. Do you know him? Is it Charles Dance? Um, is yes, it old yes. English? Uh, yep. I yeah, I reckon Tywin he, Lannister. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I reckon he'd be pretty good. Slap a slap a beard and moustache on him, uh, and also just finally as well, it's slightly slightly ironic, uh, I think, um, uh, because you you had written such a, a good scene with Bushman taking on um, and and dispatching of uh, Marlene's dad, but it's funny because in the comics that like we all know uh, and we pointed it out on our show, uh, there are about three different versions that he dies. He gets um, he gets bitten in the neck. Uh, I think he gets stabbed in the Lemire run. And uh, he gets his neck snapped in another run. So that's always changed throughout the history. Um, but I'm glad you stuck with the uh, the teeth because that's, uh, that's the most terrifying, I think. Well, yeah, and because I wanted to really demonstrate the, the brutality of Bushman mm. uh, as, as a lethal foe. Um, because in, this, in my version of the film, he is the avatar of Seth. Yes, so, yeah. Yeah, very interesting, very inter- interesting concept. Um, hold on to that, Anthony. We're gonna let's dive right into it. Um, loonies, buckle up. You know, get your get your popcorn out, <laughs> settle back, uh, and get ready for this. We'll come back after a short break, and Anthony and Anthony and I will return to discuss his script. 
Hello, I'm Anthony. And I'm Dr. Issues. And we're hosts of Capes on the Couch, the podcast where comics get counseling. Superheroes don't always get to go home happy. That's where we come in. We offer psychiatric and mental health analysis of comic book characters. So check us out at capesonthecouch.live and across all social media platforms at Capes on the Couch. Yes, welcome back. Looney listeners, you're listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. I have very special guest here, Anthony Sitko, from Capes on the Couch. He's also the author. Is it an author when you write a script? Yeah, an author of... Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. the writer. <laughs> the writer of um, a Moon Knight film, uh, film script, which we are discussing tonight on our Moon and Stars segment. So, Anthony, I guess we um, we should really go through... Really go through this uh, this script and and have a look. Um, very very uh, very cool. Um, I'm just wondering how we should go through this. Uh, okay, the first thing I'd say, obviously, um, opening opening shot in Chicago. Um, we have a a, a pretty uh, a pretty quick introduction of of the costumed Moon Knight. Though we don't see him for quite a bit after that, but it was nice to actually drop in and start with with bang. You got Moon Knight. Um, they're doing what he's meant to do as a, as a superhero, right? Yeah, I wanted to, to start with him in the costume, just that brief bit, mm-hmm. um, because so much of the film plays with his mental state, and uh, also because we don't really see Moon Knight in the film until mm-hmm. much, much later on, that I just wanted to give it as a brief tease, and it's not really it's not really a fourth wall breaking like a Deadpool where he's narrating his own film, but it's because he's in his own head that he's, he's sort of talking to himself, but we use that as a sort of a cheat to, to get the audience sort of hooked in. Like, you know, who's this guy and why is he talking to himself? So that was sort of where I came with it. And also just, I wanted to touch on the fact that I went with Chicago because we've seen so many characters in New York, New York, New York, New York. And, and even though I live in New Jersey and I've literally grew up in, you know, in in like 20, 30 minutes away from New York, Mm -hmm. I'm, I just got a little tired of it. And I said, you know, there is some, some basis for Chicago in there um, from from the books. So I said, you know what, let's just root it this way. He's elsewhere. He's totally isolated mm. from the rest of, you know, the, the main line Avengers, which I think, frankly, is how he would want it. Yeah. And uh, so I just thought if I said it in Chicago, it just gives it a little different flavor and it isolates him further and establishes that he is, he's technically in the MCU, but he's very much his own dark corner of it. And so mm. he's literally physically isolated from everyone else. Yeah, and I think that's a great. I think it's a smart move as well because he is so as is very lone wolf, isn't he? So, um, yeah, now that that's um, that was a great, great choice. Uh, also, and then we fade into uh, a congregation and we get the introduction of Mark Spector's dad, and you start playing here, Anthony, with the family dynamics. A bit of an introduction of Mark, a bit of history telling, uh, but also the dynamics between him and his father, him and his brother Randall. Uh, this was quite interesting, I thought as well, and it um, uh, we all know from history as well that um, that um, sorry, uh, was it Elias Specter? Elias, yeah, yeah. He uh, obviously he kind of disowns Mark, doesn't he? In the um, in the comics, but in the comics though, he's more of a pacifist. Over here, we see him quite violent towards his sons. Well, again, one of the reasons why. 
uh, Elias is the way that he is is because I wanted to root Mark's psychotic breaks mm-hmm. in some semblance of reality. And so when I was talking to, to Doc Issues about this, we he needed to suffer some sort of trauma yes. to undergo the psychotic break. And I wanted to show very early on that Mark has not been right in the head for some time. Yeah. And the best way that I thought to do that was to show um, Elias as an abusive alcoholic mm-hmm. who put on a face for the congregation that, oh, he's this loving, wonderful rabbi. And I know that it is a break from the comics mm-hmm. largely, mm-hmm. but, and even in the original script, he was not the, the abusive person that he was. Yeah. Um, but I still wanted to show that he was, um, you know, responsible for Mark ultimately becoming who he is. And that comes into play later on. Um, but I needed to I needed to root that early on, yeah. so that you understand how Mark gets from A to B. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of opportunity with Elias. Um, it hasn't been uh, touched upon enough in the comics, uh, and uh, so to actually understand him a bit more in relation to his sons is a good thing. And uh, yeah, um, as, as we mentioned, very different from the comics, but um, no less. Uh, impact, I think, with him being quite quite physical. Uh, it's funny enough as well. We get a parallel. I'm going to parallel this with the Bemis run, Anthony. I, I know you're a, a massive fan, <laughs> um, uh, but the in the Bemis run, we get a treatment of Elias there as well. Something slightly different, but we see Bemis trying um, to flesh out Elias Spectre. So in that sense, in the comics, towards the end, I'm going to pluck out a number. I think it's 194. Um, we we see Elias actually has a mental issue himself, which I guess is maybe a, an indirect explanation of Mark Spector. So I, I guess I just found that interesting how you both touched upon it. Um, which is yeah, no, definitely. I, I thought that was one of the, the better aspects of the the Bemis run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was was giving a little more flesh as a character to yeah. Elias. He's always just sort of been, yeah. you know, very, very one-dimensional yep. in Mark's past. I think a lot of characters in Moon Knight's um, kind of corner is uh, is victim to that as well. I mean, Randall, uh, we've discussed this on the show uh, when he appeared. Uh, he has three major chapters in the Moon Knight canon. Uh, very, I don't know, maybe either underused or um, just not really fully realised here. What I like in your script is that we do get a, an immediate dynamic between Mark and Randall. And, uh, you know, there's a there's nice kind of brotherly rivalry there. Um, and for fans that do know what happens, we, we kind of, we know, there's an ominous um, outcome as they both grow up later on. Yeah, in an earlier draft, he actually had a physical altercation with Randall when they were adults and Randall really sort of takes it out on Mark. And I made Mark, I think in the comics, Mark is the older brother, but here I yep. made him the younger brother, but he's physically more, um, more overpowering mm-hmm. and Randall resents him for that. And so in an earlier ah. draft, I had Randall really uh, take it out. You know, I didn't need you to protect me, blah, blah, blah. And they get into a fight and Mark beats seven shades out of him. Yeah. And the, I guess the end tease for the first film was going to be Randall like bandaged up in a hospital and he attacks one of the nurses. Yes. So oh, to, cool. to get I like out the t- and, and he's like got the revenge in. on his mind. So yeah, yeah. a little, little tie in there to, to, you know, hatch it yeah. and so on uh, and uh, sort of teasing the third film. So it sort of alludes to that, um, 
Yeah. But I, I took it out because it just seemed forced. Okay. And it was taking time away from – it didn't add anything to the progression. It was just, oh, hey, let's have a fight here because it's been quiet for a while. Yeah. So – But I like I like that actually. That um, What you're, you're using there, Randall, being the older, getting beaten up by his younger brother – because that, you know, that just opens up some cans of worms, doesn't it? Like the shame. And, and you can understand the, I guess, the uh, the resentment building in Randall. I think that's a really interesting, um, really interesting idea. Uh, but yeah, yeah. That, yeah, again, it was it was the idea, but I, I couldn't find a, a yeah, hook for it. Sure. And it just seemed, like I said, like it was taken away from other parts of the yeah. script. And you only have, you, you know, you're moving forward at 24 frames a second, whether you want to or not. Yeah. And so you have a limited amount of time. God, that must be so hard to, um, yeah. I mean, what what ends up in the cutting room floor, so to speak, must be hard to like. So many cool ideas. Um, anyway, so we move on to uh, a shot of the schoolyard and a young Mark, uh, and he, this is the introduction where we get uh, introduction of Jake, and things aren't as it seems. Um, so we get the imaginary Jake here, as you as you said, a, a really good um, idea, uh, and also tying in with um, with Mark getting bullied as well. Yep, and that that was, again was another idea that Jeff Lemire did better than I did. Um, you know, when he did it in the books, that that Mark brings him up to he brings his friend yes. up to his room, yeah. and uh, and then Elias walks in and he's like, "Who are you talking to? I'm showing my my toys. Who's yeah. there?" And yeah. Mark is by himself. Um, so that's, that's another point where I was reading, I go, God damn it, Jeff Lemire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, what I really like about this though, as well, is that Mark does not take a step back from the bullies and he actually ends up kind of beating them. So we get a bit of a window into the future of him being a, a very accomplished, uh, fighter, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I love the, um, the descriptions here, Anthony, uh, plastic cutlery, <laughs> all over the place uh, on the bullies. So, uh, yeah, really, really cool stuff. Um, then, actually, Anthony, we go to another scene. This is what I really want to actually wanted to ask you. We get some new characters here, or a new character, um, in in the the guise of Carmen. Now, is that that's right? Isn't it? I'm sure she's not part of. I can't remember in Moonlight Canon. No, no, no. She's very much just a, a creation that I used for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. I just needed. I needed. Unfortunately, and I hate to do because I'm not normally someone who just likes to create characters and throw them away. Um, but I needed something for for Mark Spector, Marine Staff Sergeant. Mark Spector, mm-hmm. and I needed some character to show his the fact that he could have a relationship. He just he really is difficult to get through to, mm-hmm. and so Carmen was that you know that love interest, so to speak. She really only is in that one that one scene. Yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I hated the the notion of giving her such a, a short shrift as a character because I think she she could be a lot more. But unfortunately, it was just I needed something mm-hmm. to show that part of Mark that was there so that when it appears later, you don't go, where did this come from? You know, yeah. it had to be, it had to be organic and it had to fit in the story. Um, so I needed some, unfortunately, I hate to say this as a man, you know, but I needed a female character there mm-hmm. and that's who I came up with. And I tried to make her as fleshed out of a character as I possibly could in the one scene that I wrote her in. Yeah. But otherwise she, she's, doesn't serve much of a purpose outside of that scene but yeah oh i mean it was a it was a tight enough scene there as well so i mean that's um that's good uh um 
yeah, she seems quite um, capable herself of, of doing stuff. But yeah, they have they basically have just a dialogue, um, and there's a bit of history there between the two. Um, and then we get to and a- it was more alluding to the past with Mark uh, with Elias, you know, where he where we find out that Elias is sober now and he, he wants oh, yeah. the forgiveness and yes. Mark is not willing to forgive his dad for everything that he did. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, what was it? She says, oh, I didn't know he was dead or something. And he goes, no, no, he's dead to me. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You told, you, you told me he was dead. Well, he's dead to me. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, we, we cut to, so this is obviously, Mark's obviously grown up from the, from the schoolyard. He's, uh, he's in military training. Uh, and we get another, he goes, um, he kind of gets um, assessed by uh, one of his superior officers um, who seem impressed by his stuff. But uh, it, it all looks yeah, good. Yeah, Crossfire. Crossfire. Yeah, yes. It, yeah, I, I thought so. Is, is it Crossfire? William Cross, right. It is Crossfire. That's um, why he says I'd give my right eye for, ah, for you know, 10 guys <laughs> cool. like you. That was a little, I was, little, uh, little Easter egg in there. Yeah, I, I was. that in. Man, I was thinking it was, and I was thinking, no, hang on, hang on, that's Darren. But Darren's his brother, right? Um, Darren is his brother. Yeah. Yellow Jacket. Yellow Jacket. From the Ant-Man film. Yes. So, and, of course, this was written much you know, many years prior to Ant Man, so once that came out, I was like, "Oh man, I could." They're, they're brothers, but blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, I, so I thought it, just, it was. It all ties together. Oh man, I had I had visions of Crossfire from the Nick Spencer run of Ant Man when I was reading this, and I, I just kept on when I was reading it, going, "Is it? Is it him? Is it him?" And it's, oh, and I convinced myself yep, it wasn't. That's Crossfire. Awesome stuff. Um, but anyway, that kind of goes pear shaped uh, at the end. Um, this seems a bit. Of, uh, he pushes marks. Uh, the wrong buttons, let's say that. Um, he starts talking about family. Uh, he, he begins with, you know, saying, Mark, you're very accomplished, you've done this, but we, we are worried about um, your discipline. And so uh, that doesn't end well, uh, and it doesn't end well for Mark to, uh, I guess, further his, his career. Um, yeah, he's, he, he goes off yeah. on cross. He goes off. He certainly does. And, uh, screams at it. He has to be dragged away, kicking and screaming. So we're starting to get a, a really good idea of Mark at the moment. Now he, um, we're starting to get a lot of information from him uh, from the story, uh, which is really good. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's all kind of rolling at the moment. Um, straight after that, so then we get into, I guess, um, you could say, Volume One, Issue One. Him as a merc, uh, as a merc mercenary. Um, is that, hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, you know, he. This also uh, comes into some of the the stuff from the trial of Mark Spector, which yes. is from the Mark Spector Moon Knight run. Boscoverde. Uh, we yeah. introduce Bo Olson and Boscoverde yep. and and Raposa and um and I wanted and I used this scene to introduce Frenchie that they this is where they meet and they do not start off as friends. Mm. Uh, Frenchie is is the derivative name, so I wanted to yes. give that an, a reason. You know, yeah, he's like, I'm yeah, Jean-Paul that's... Duchamp, and Mark is like, yeah, whatever you say, Frenchie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really good. And I like the way that you fleshed out Bo Olsen, actually, because um, there's that little story in The Trial of Mark Spector where you get the sense of this. Uh, but I found Bo um, turns out to be quite a sympathetic character. Um, you know, they, they kind of jostle uh, – not jostle, they kind of um, – um, have fun uh, with it. They basically count their body count, um, uh, and it, yeah, I, I, I made it a game for them that yeah. see how many people they can kill uh, throughout the course of the attack. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the dead president's uh, line comes back, you know, in a sort of ironic fashion at the end there. That uh, you know, uh, you know, yeah. they're they're only interested in dead presidents. Yes, yeah, and then they get the dead president, but it costs Bo his life. Mm. 
Yeah, he very much reminded me. It was almost kind of very uh, kind of cowboy because he's, he's so he's so um, just like oh well, you know, you know, this is danger, and you know, this is what we get, and oh, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to die. He's very um, not blasé, but uh, he kind of accepts accepts it. And I got the sense that he and Mark were a lot closer. Obviously, as you mentioned, a lot closer than um, Frenchie. So I like the idea that um, Mark had a best friend, like, you know, had, had a good mate there. Um, but we find out later on he's kind of formed this friendship with Frenchie, um, which is really cool. Uh, yeah, but they don't start off as, as besties. No, no, uh, not at all. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I like that kind of grower aspect um, for them. And, uh, uh, yeah, and, and so this pretty much uh, is similar to um, the, the comics um, with Mark um, shooting... Um, Reposa? No, Ricardo? Reposa, yeah. Rico, yeah, Reposa. Um, so, uh, not Reposa, no, no. Uh, I forget that the president's name. No, Reposa's the guy who hires him. Yeah, Ricardo. I forget uh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dominguez, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, don't I don't remember. I don't have it, it in front is. of me. Yeah, yeah, Dominguez. And his wife, Carmilla. Uh, yeah, so that, that obviously creates... So what happens? Mark shoots him, thinks he's going to um, go for a gun. Turns out he's, he's pulling out a photo of his family... Uh, that would just lay massive guilt on on Mark, uh, and again, just another little piece of the puzzle for Mark Spector. Um, so yeah, so we go there. There's some really cool action scenes in here. Uh, I'm just going through this uh, as we speak, Anthony. Uh, I really like the um, and again, there's a so you use the term double taps and and all that. Very, uh, I'm assuming that's just like two quick shots, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you saw Zombie Land, uh, it's you know always ah, double right. tap is one of the rules. And there, there was a terminology here for oh, there is uh, of the like a silencer, like poof, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Again, cool. understanding that silencers don't really work that way, but yeah. everyone <laughs> in movies expects them to. So I might as well just play with that trope. I hate it, but I needed it. So yeah, yeah. Um, so then, anyway, we um, we then fade out and fade to uh, to Africa. Uh, one year later, and so we have um, Mark has moved on, and we see that he's still he's still buddies with Frenchie, uh, and they are talking to an unseen man, and you know we all know loonies who this fellow would be, uh, another than Raoul, um, as mentioned in the script, uh, razor sharp fangs as he smirks. So this is um, again, so again we've seen this in the origin in the Doug Mensch run, in the Jeff Lemire run as well. Um, and to an extent in the Houston run with the origin. Um, but yeah, again, so this, um, I'm just going through this, Anthony, uh, this pretty much sticks to, uh, the, the origin as told in the comics. We see, um, uh, them not too happy with, with Bushman and we see Bushman's, um, posse turn up at the archaeological dig, um, with Marlene and Dr. Al Rayon. Yeah, that one, uh, that part of it, I really didn't think uh, I needed to change too mm-hmm. much. Obviously, you know, just sort of actionize it and, and add some dialogue. What I wanted to do, though, was to make um, really flesh out sort of the dynamic between Marlene and her father mm-hmm. and indicate that uh, it is not, they get along, but it's not really like a happy sort of uh, relationship, yes. that it's very stilted. Yep. And uh, I, I really wanted to, to demonstrate that um, through a couple of uh, the, the, just the sequence, because in the backstory that I had written, um, 
Peter left Marlene when she was very young because he was off on the digs and Marlene always wanted to be close to her father. Mm -hmm. And so she studied archaeology in an attempt to gain that relationship with him and they can talk archaeology, but that's it. Yeah, I like that aspect. Um, they're very comfortable just talking archaeology, but anything veering away from that, uh, it gets quite awkward. So um, exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Th- so we get the introduction of Marlene and her dad, um, and similar to to the comics, um, we get um, we get the ultimate altercation between Bushman, uh, Frenchie, Doctor Al Rayon, um, with. Uh, there's there's a bit of a description on the dagger. Um, so I know you've done a lot of background work with um, Egyptology for the, for this, uh, Anthony. Um, so there's um, Dr. Aaron talking about the dagger, and that's um, what he wants to use on Bushman. Uh, but Mark actually alerts Bushman to the oncoming attack, uh, and uh, Bushman dispatches of of um, of Peter. Uh, as well as the rest of um, the, I guess the workers that won't follow his his cause. Yeah, he's basically, you have one chance to follow me mm-hmm. and, you know, follow me or die. Uh, you're not going to follow me? All right, take him out. Yeah. And they, you know, his men just, and they drill everybody down and yep. and then that's it. And that's the final moment um, that sets Mark off. And there's that scene earlier where Mark is talking with Frenchie. And ever since, you know, ever since the incident in Bosque Verde, he's had that crisis of conscience. Mm-hmm. And he really doesn't know why it is that he's continuing to do this. And so seeing Bushman kill Dr. Alroon and everyone else, that's the, the straw that broke the camel's back, and he's like, that's it, I've had enough. Like, Yeah, and absolutely. So he kind of goes up against Bushman. Uh, he does well, actually. From how you wrote it, it looked like he was um, it was kind of overpowering Bushman. It was not only because of a, 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 a butt, a, what do you call it, a gun butt to the head? <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, he's basically, he could take out Bushman one-on-one, yeah. but he's not given that opportunity, and he's sort of ambushed from behind, and then Bushman, you know, knocks him out and leaves him for dead and yeah. in the middle of the desert, and yeah. we all know the rest. And so we, Yeah, exactly. And so this, this follows the um, true to the comics. Um, so he, um, you know, he, he's left in the desert, uh, he, he arrives uh, at the at the temple where uh, Marlene and, and Jalad, um, her assistants, I guess, are at. But there's an interesting uh, scene here, Anthony, with Mark talking to Conchu, and this is all before. I, I guess this is the proposition that Conchu gives Mark uh, to to resurrect him or not. You know, um, he can go to hell if he wants, uh, and he says he, he makes no bones about it. He says Bo's going to be down there. Um, but he says, you know, you can, you can um, go there or you can help me. And, and there's a bit of a, uh, an explanation of Khonshu. Um, really interesting. I love this uh, Egypt uh, mythology. Uh, it's kind of fleshed out with the Helio... How do you pronounce that? Heliopol- Heliopolitans. Heliopolitans, yes. Um, well, because when I was doing my research on this, I read about the actual... Uh, Egyptian mythology, mm. and so all of that stuff that I talk about with Seth and Conchu and and Ra and and so on, that is all the actual Egyptian mythology. Yeah, that story about uh, what's his his body is dispersed, you know, into a thousand pieces, and his his lover has to find them and bring them back together to resurrect him. Yeah, that is all based on the actual Egyptian mythology because originally I had come up with an original story for what what for what the characters were and what their their 
reasons were. And then I read the original mythology and I said, this is way better than anything I could come up with. <laughs> Why don't I just use this since it's rooted in actual Egyptian mythology? Mm-hmm. So a Very and, smart and, move. Yeah, yeah. it works so really I said, well. You know, let, me, let me work with this and give the, the characters some motivation there. Mm-hmm. So all the, the stuff between Khonshu and Seth and, and the little twist that I gave it was that Bushman is Seth's avatar, yes. which gives further... Uh, reason for Mark to go after Bushman because it's not just Mark wanting revenge on Bushman, but it's Khonshu needing to defeat Seth. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that works really well and that's a really good uh, a really good twist on it. Um so yeah, so and, and the other big twist uh, which you mentioned earlier as well, um so what happens, Mark says, Okay, let's you know, let's do it and he gets resurrected. Khonshu actually gives him these moon based powers. So we are, we know that was in um Fist of Khonshu. Uh, the, yeah. the comics. Uh, so, yeah, why uh, why did he choose to give him like? Is this something just to set him apart, or was it an influence from the two thousand and eight to ten MCU films to to do something a bit uh, out there? Or it was it was a little bit of the early MCU films wanting to give him some powers. Yeah, uh, it was also just uh, you know some influence from the comics because I knew that he had mm-hmm. some some comic based powers, and I thought it would have been fun to play with because most of the characters that we had seen up to that point, and even now, um, they have their powers, and their powers are I don't want to say static, but they they either have powers or they don't. With the moon, uh, and the way that I play with it is is you know if the moon is covered, he doesn't. It impacts his yes. abilities, so the moon has to be shining yeah. in order for him to get those powers. But as the moon grows in phase and you know, waxes and wanes, his strength level increases or decreases. Yeah. And I wanted to play with that um, to further add to the notion that you know he doesn't really know uh, how strong he's going to be or how effective he's going to be, and that's going to have an impact on his mental state at any given point. Yeah. And it's a great. Um, it's used to good effect towards um, towards the end as well, with um, with the the clouds interfering with his um, with his abilities, which is which is really cool. Exactly. That's that's ex- when I when I came up with the idea, I said, you know, I want him to to have the upper hand and then lose it, and you yeah, know, and go back and forth. It's kind of like it's uh, not, so. It's not just a one sided. Yeah, it's kind of like the like the kryptonite, you know, of it. You know, you, you've got to give him a bit of an Achilles heel. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that that was a good way to do it. Uh, yeah, so he, he, he shows Marlene, uh, he's resurrected and he literally busts out of the temple, um, uh, testing his new powers. Um, and yeah, so anyway, so he, he's set his sights on, on Bushman. Um, then, uh, we move to, I'm just having a look here. Uh, we see Bushman here, um, yeah, yeah. Bushman is celebrating the fact that he's yes. he won and he's controlling everything. Mark shows up and basically right. um, blows up the the depot, and he almost he he almost ends it right there. But of course, you know yes. we're only like that's right forty five minutes into the movie, so we know it can't end here. Yeah. So we just have to have that little tease. So he almost beats him, but then he hears Marlene, and uh, you know Frenchie Frenchie goes to grab Marlene to to protect her she screams thinking she's under attack mm-hmm. mark goes to protect her and bushman gets away so yeah um you know i know it's sort of quote-unquote cheap but uh, you know but you have to have that little tease there because you can't just have that that sort of climactic conclusion oh, you know, that big battle that early on so no i have to I have to give the people a little bit of a tease exactly and, and you want them to you want the two big you know characters to meet you know, at some point, you know, without having to wait all the way to the end. So it's a nice, yeah, as you say, a nice, nice little tease. 
so then we moved to um, we moved to Mark Spector's home, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just Ma- uh, Mark Frenchie and uh, Marlene talking. Uh, it's M- Mark basically describing, um, and this is the thing, like um, describing that whole similar to I guess the Thor with the you know gods and aliens, um, and just. The others thinking it's quite incredulous. Um, I like the mention of the Avengers here as well. That kind of like you're like, hey, <laughs> that's cool. A nice little tie-in yeah. to uh, to the greater Marvel universe. But yeah, that was just um, I guess him um, getting Frenchie and Marlene on on board with what he's doing. Well, he's he's trying, you know, and they're not really they're not really all that particularly interested. And and then. Um... You know, something that I didn't get a chance to flesh out as much as I would have liked, and it was something that I was working on for the next draft, is giving Marlene a little more of a reason to to stay. Mm-hmm. But Mark doesn't want her there, so they don't start off as lovers. It's just, you know, she's there because she wants revenge on Bushman for killing her father. Mm-hmm. And Mark is like, you're not really of any help to me. And she's like, well, just let me stay at least for a little bit. I don't have anything else. My father just died. Yeah. So... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. 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 For sure. That's um, uh, and so they yeah. So they test Mark's kind of skills um, and uh, also uh, they I think I guess forming Jake the the cabbie. So the other personas are starting to come into um, play. They were thinking of uh, what was it before? Wasn't it cabbie? They were thinking oh a newsman like a. Yeah, that was a little little shot at Superman. Yeah, He's like oh, if, you know, everyone's going to notice if I'm covering the story, but I'm not really there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought was a little, su- yeah, I thought of Superman straight away there. Uh, exactly. That, that was it. That was a little little shot at Clark Kent, <laughs> uh, whom I love. But oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and and then there's also a chauffeur, which kind of you know leads organically to Cabby because let's face it, and rightly so, Cabbies they are the ears of the city, aren't they? Um, you know, they, they, yes, know even stuff. if people, you know, say, oh, you know, shouldn't we be saying this in front of this yeah. guy? Yeah, who is, <laughs> exactly. who's he going to tell? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, and Mark shows his, um, I guess his affection and, and his need for Marlene to be there with, with him. So there's a bit of a, um, they kind of solidify their, their relationship a bit here for saying that he grounds her. Oh, well, she it's grounds funny. Him. That's, that part is, that part is from the fifth draft. And that's when I realized that I was forcing it too soon. Ah. So, um, so that's the part. And I mentioned this to you, um, you know, sort of offline before we were prepping this, that from this point on in the script, yep. this is from the fifth draft. This is not from the latest version, so from here on out, uh, my yes. my plan is more based in the synopsis for the sixth draft, in which Marlene is more of just she's there and she endears herself to Mark. You know, it's almost like a, you know I don't want to say like a Beauty and the Beast type scenario, <laughs> but you know he's very rough and and she's you know well like I you know he's he's here to protect me or not that he's here to protect me, but you know I have worth and value. Uh, aside from just uh, being an archaeologist, and that's there's a beautiful scene that I would have written later on where she is the one who makes the costume for him. Um, ah. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so anyway, there, there is a montage there. So where they go, uh, uh, Samat so goes to uh, where does he go? He goes to the Salvation Army first. Um, uh, he he kind of gets all this stuff together to, to become a cabbie. Uh, sets up his, I guess, disguise. Um, they look at getting a mansion, Grant Mansion, um, so setting up his identities. Uh, and then there's a little bit here. You mentioned um, 
she's she's working on a on a silvery hooded cape there for him as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, and and you've got Frenchie working on the helicopter as well. So uh, their kind of plan is all is all coming together. Um, well, then, like I said, for for the next draft, I was basically going to have him just start off very basically. He was, you know, he d- he wasn't going to start off as Stephen just yet. So at this point, he's Moon Knight and he's Jake. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, this is all uh, from the synopsis that he basically he gets the ID and the the hack license and the cab, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then he he starts off just as Moon Knight and he's Jake, and then uh, so he picks up a businessman. And it's, it's funny that we were just talking about uh, you know some of the the dialogue in the the fan film yeah. because that's sort of what happens. I was gonna I was gonna work on on drafting it that uh, there's a businessman um, talking about a fundraiser where he's going to swindle some money and he doesn't care about saying anything in front of the cabbie because who the hell is he going to tell? He doesn't know who I am and he couldn't do anything anyway. Yeah. So Mark uh, shows up at the, uh, at the event and he's like, oh, uh, you know, he, he gets rid of the mustache and he shows up, he bluffs yes. his way inside and he says, his, oh, I'm, I'm Stephen Grant and I, I own Grant Corp and I have the one gag where the couple... Uh, yes, that's right. The couple that he had brought there, and she's like, "Isn't it? Isn't that the cabbie?" Yeah, that's nice. And last week you thought the waiter looked like Barry Manilow or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, so right. yeah. you know, just a sort of a little, just a little fun joke there. Yeah, um, no, 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 for sure. Um, yeah, no, that that was good. Uh, yeah, sorry, I lost my place here. So um, then, yeah, so we go through that. So with him, uh, Marcus is is Grant. Um, so I'm just trying to move up here are you are you in the script or the synopsis oh no i'm in the i'm in the script um okay i was gonna say at this point the the i wouldn't go because the script changes now based on the synopsis because I, yeah. I came up with a whole bunch of new ideas that i hadn't had a chance to, oh, okay. to write out so the so the synopsis at this point forward is more where i would see the story going had i you know been more uh, uh, creatively inclined oh okay 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 um so have you got the synopsis in front of you there as well yeah, yeah, I have the, the synopsis in front of me. So at this point, he, he works his way over to the businessman, and he corners him in a room. Uh, and then his uh, the businessman's fiance shows up, yes. who Mark doesn't care much for until she turns into an insect monster because she is Sheila DeSoto. Um, yes, what was who that? I believe was yeah. she was a character that was referenced in I think two issues of Multiple Man. Oh, really? And that was it. Oh, yes. Okay. And so when I wrote the story back in you know 2010 originally, yeah. Uh, obviously, there was no talk of a merger between Disney and Fox, and so I said, "This is a character that, in all likelihood, Fox has the rights to, yeah. because she's technically introduced in a Jamie Madrox book." But I said, "She, no one, nobody is crying out for Sheila DeSoto to appear in any sort of uh, live action iteration." And so I said, "I don't think it would be hard for uh, for Disney, Marvel, whatever, to get the rights to." you know, use this character in this limited situation because I was looking for a Chicago-based character. Right. And Sheila DeSoto is, and her her fiancé are from Chicago. Um, And so I said, well, this will make for a, because I wanted Moon Knight to battle someone with some sort of powers or something uh, before Bushman. You know, you have to have that little, that mini, not necessarily a mini boss fight, but you have to have some sort of action sequence, you know, there. Mm Mm-hmm. 
uh, in the middle of the film. And so I said, well, this would be a good opportunity for him to have a fight. And who can I use? And, and she turns into an insect monster. Uh, it doesn't really necessarily fit with the rest of the film. And so I was probably going to cut that if I could find something else. But for uh-huh. the interim, that's what I had. Yeah, um, that so. was... Found- points points to anyone who's listening if you already knew who Sheila DeSoto was. Oh yeah, absolutely. I had no I had no idea. Um I, I knew she must have been somewhere in the Marvel universe, but I could not place her um with Moon Knight at all. Uh yeah, that was a little strange, I thought. Um but yeah, <laughs> it's uh uh hang on, I'm just looking here because later on, well in the script anyway, we get a little nice little cameo. I want to mention it now of a werewolf, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Um, so for me, the couple of supernatural elements there kind of, okay, kind of made a bit more sense, but if it, um, does that appear in the synopsis as well? The, I don't think, no, I don't think it. I had any werewolves in the synopsis okay. because again, I, I couldn't find a place to organically mention. I yeah. probably would have thrown in a line somewhere yeah. referencing a werewolf just to give that nod. That was a nice um, nod though. Yeah. In the script, but, I just remember. And, and anyway, in the script, um, Moon Knight uses it to dispatch um, one of the goons, uh, I guess, which is uh, which is really cool. Reminded me of um, issue twenty of the Houston Run uh, with all those werewolves underground at the Lupine um, yep. bar. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember. Yeah, very cool indeed. Uh, all right, cool. So I've just got um, the synopsis open now. So I'm not looking at the um, draft five anymore. Uh, so sorry, um, Anthony. Where do we go from from DeSoto? From DeSoto, then, uh, so the story makes headlines, and then Bushman uh, recognizes because someone snapped a quick photo of, of Moon Knight, and uh, even though he's got a very basic getup, um, that it's similar to what Mark was wearing when he left the tomb, mm-hmm. and Bushman recognizes that's that's Mark. I know he's alive because I needed to find some way for Bushman to know that Mark yes. was alive and that, you know. For, for that to happen. So Bushman sees the report and goes, hmm, I know that, I know that get up. Yeah. That's Spectre. Yeah. I yeah. have to, I have to find him. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, we, sorry, we also get uh, between that. So then this is where, this is where Stephen is now created. And so Mark returns home and he explains to Frenchie and Marlene, he's like, oh, now now I'm also Stephen because I can get places as Stephen Grant oh, that yes. I can't as yep. a cabbie. And they're like, now you're, this is crazy. You can't do this. And, and he said, oh, no, it's just names. I can handle it. Yes. But then we go into the, the dimly lit room, which is the, That's the right. conceit yes. that uh, I wanted to use for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the show The United States of Tara. No. So it was a show on HBO Showtime, one of those channels, uh, with Tony Collette, mm-hmm. where she plays a housewife with multiple personalities. Oh, okay. And the way that it is demonstrated or the way that it's done in the show is inside her head is a table mm-hmm. and with all of the different personalities seated at the table, and they all interact with each other inside her head. Right. And so whoever is seated at the head of the table is the dominant personality at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I said, that is excellent for me to use um, to show this, but I naturally did it a little darker and grittier. So I have the, the table in a dimly lit room, Jake and Moon Knight are there. And then Steven comes in and he asks, there's a locked door off on the side. Mm-hmm. And Moon Knight says the boss is in there, but he doesn't come uh, out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So sort of a little bit of foreshadowing. So, uh, so Steven 
then sits down at the table and now he sets up Grant Corp. Um, and so, you know, he makes some money. He uses some of the money that he made when he was uh, a mercenary yep. and he sets up this company and then he buys a mansion with the helipad mm-hmm. and Marlene is happy at all this. And Stephen now is happy with Marlene, but, you know, Jake and and Moon Knight and whatever don't really uh, care all that much. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, true, yep. And um, so we then we then get this short uh, introduction here again of, of Jenna and, and Crawley um, as well. Yeah, Gina's diner. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, and then Crawley, who uh, who I love. One of writing. my favorites, really. Um, he's he's such a cool. Crawley character. is such exactly. He's such a fun character to write to to write all of that unnecessarily. Uh, loquacious language yes. uh, I thought was a lot of fun. That, I basically said, well, what do I want him to say? And then how can I make it as flowery <laughs> as possible? Exactly. And I think you nailed it. Yeah. And, and any Looney fans would know uh, what we're talking about. It's just too many words to say, just a very simple thing. But uh, yeah, and he's got his tea bag as well. Um, yep, the tea bag that he never changes. Gina's yelling at him, and yeah, I like that. You know, once you get a new tea bag, I'll ch- I'll change it when it loses its flavor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, so when he gets home, he uh, Marlene's got the the new Moon Knight costume she's sewed, um, and uh, she says she you know she's picked up the the um, the skill when she was um, uh, when she from her mum you know to make her a lady. Um, and yeah, that's how they have a moment. Yeah, that that scene was one of the the most important scenes for me in the film, and uh, I never got around to writing it. But basically, the the gist of it was that this is where Marlene demonstrates it. the The costume that she makes for Mark is a, is a gesture of gratitude to thank him for, you know, giving her a place to live and for helping her after her father died. Mm-hmm. And because her mother only ever wanted her to be a lady, she had no interest in that. She wanted to go be with her father. And so her mother kept trying to make her into something that she wasn't until she finally, you know, was able to embrace who she was. And it's, it ties back into that theme of, you know, throughout the film of authenticity to who you are mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, wearing the mask. Yes. And then, and which we'll, you know, we'll get to at the, at the, the climax of the film yes. with, with the callback from Elias's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, speech. So, yeah. So, so that was a very tender moment. And that's where I wanted to sort of shift the relationship to the next level between Mark and Marlene and also give her a lot more background as a character and show that, you know, she's not just the arm candy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, yeah. I mean, Marlene's also, also I think, a fan favorite as well. She, many times she pulls Mark out of the fire and uh, she is a steadying ship to his um, his wild and rocky rocky waves. So, uh, yeah, no, I think that's, that's great. How, um, she's given a bit of, um, bit of time to flesh out here. Uh, then we actually get Mark coming as Moon Knight coming across uh, indirectly uh, the the um, Bushman with some of the thugs wearing a death's head pendant around their neck. So um, yeah, so he he basically um, stops these thugs beating up an old bum, uh, and um, when Crawley uh, when he heads back to Jenner's and and Crawley says that yeah he hears the men have been savaged by bite marks that triggers. In Mark, uh, obviously, Bushman's attack on Marlene's dad, uh, and that kind of shocks him. Uh, so then again, we get um, uh, another look into the mind here, Anthony. Yeah, and so Jake is at the head of the table. Mm-hmm. Stephen's banging on the locked door inside the room. Whoever's in there come out. So Jake gets home, and he shook up. Marlene is talking to Jake, and we've seen this a couple of times in the comic that Marlene thinks that 
you know, Marlene thinks she's talking to one persona when in actuality he's another one. Yes. So she's talking to Jake and we go inside and no one is at the head of the table, which yeah. is a, a big thing, which sort of used, I used as a shorthand to show that, you know, no one's really in control right now. Mm. And, uh, and then Steven sits down at the head of the table and then uh, he responds to Steven. So, but there was that, that moment where he's, he's really shook mm-hmm. um, because of the death's head, because he's, he's trying to figure out what all this means and with the bite marks and everything. Yeah. And, and he, um, he comes across it again as well. Um, so as, as, yeah, as uh, Steven. Uh, yeah. The, one of the employees yeah, has, is, a, uh, has a death's is, has a death's head pendant, and so he's aligned with Bushman. So he says, you know, Bushman knows who you are, and uh, he goes to jump out the window, and Stephen leaves. And uh, so we're back inside the room. Stephen is at the head of the table. Jake and Moon Knight are yelling. The three of them are arguing. Mm-hmm. The locked door opens, and Mark steps out. <laughs> and he goes to the head of the table, knocks Stephen out, and sits down. So, you know, sort of the, the indicating that Mark has is and always has been the dominant yep. personality, but he was away because Mark, quote-unquote, died that night in the tomb. Yep. Um, but now that he knows for certain that Bushman is back, now because Mark has to be the one to defeat Bushman. Yeah. Um, not Jake, not Steven, not even really Moon Knight because this is Mark's fight. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to demonstrate that Mark had to be the one in control. And then we, we go back to go back home yep. and Marlene talks to him, but he won't respond to Jake yeah. or Steven. And that's, so she, she slaps him and then, you know, so she reveals her fear and insecurity because she's like, I'm falling in love with you, but I don't know who you are at any given yeah. point, And I need something to show, you know, that you care or I'm leaving. And so that's each persona, um, you know, in his head says, I love you, Marlene, you know, Mm. like one word from each of them. And then Mark is like, I love you. You're the only thing that all of us have in common. Yeah. Um, You keep me grounded, but I need to stop Bushman. Yeah. This is really good. I think um, this is really needed because this is such a big thing for Marlene. I think, I think in the comics as well, she's, she's constantly at odds with, with someone, you know, Mark slash Steven slash Jake, she loves and yeah earlier in the mensch run um she she calls out wrong names or she doesn't know who the hell she's talking to so i liked how you've um kind of addressed that over here um and and it kind of galvanizes mark anyway as well for his his upcoming battle with with bushman so he has a he has a short um a little uh, interaction with conchu um and yeah, Conchu shows up and he's like, "This is it. This is the big battle now. Yeah, I need exactly. you to stop him because you have to. You have to stop Bushman so that I can stop Seth." Yeah, exactly. So th- this is kind of just just the prelude, basically, to the to the. You, would you call it the third act or, or just the, the the climax? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is definitely we're we're in we're in we're well into the third act at this point. Yeah. This is, you know, well, the well, the, the big climax then, I guess. Um, yeah, it's kind of like we're all kind of all all the uh, pieces are in place. Um, Conchu's just kind of given the final, you know final go ahead uh and and off moon knight goes uh so anyway yeah so they um they go to bushman's location uh which is uh, a strip club and uh that was based in the comics at some point i remember that there was, oh, was a it? fight okay uh, it, it, it was definitely there i remember at one point uh someone referred to it as a jiggle joint um, oh yes that was in <laughs> yeah yeah Doug, i think that was in volume one issue one i think that was in volume one issue one yeah. if i'm not mistaken so i brought it back to to that that basic, you know, the 
the introduction, that first story. Yeah, no, absolutely. So then they, um, you know, with with Frenchie in the chopper, Moon Knight goes. Also, no matter how old I get, the the phrase "jiggle joint" just makes oh. me laugh. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> All right, that's a, it is. It's the first time I've ever heard of it when I read it. Um, so anyway, so um, yeah, Moon Knight faces battles his way through. Um, and, you know, there's some clouds going over the moon, so things are happening with his powers, uh, and he encounters Bushmen, um, and they start going at it. Um, and Marlene turns up and um, stops him from killing Bushmen. But, um, because her argument is, you know, yeah. you'll be no better than he is, exactly, and so on and so forth. Exactly. Uh, and then there's another little uh, a table, mind table session here, Anthony, as well, um, at the table. All the four are arguing, no one's at their head. Uh, Moon Knight tells them all shut up, uh, and there's some silence. Uh, and then a young Mark appears and recites Eliza's sermon, uh, all about who we really are under our masks. Exactly, yeah, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, I had tied in reference at the beginning. Yes. Um, Elias, you know, as rabbi was giving a, a speech to the congregation about, you know, that we all wear masks of some various point, but only God knows who we are under a mask. It was religious in theme. Yep. But young Mark remembers it at the climax, and this is when he has the idea, you know, I know, you know, who I am under my mask also because I needed, not I needed, but I wanted to figure out a way um, for, for, the actor playing Moon Knight to be able to emote and have this this moment because when he's Moon Knight, obviously he's got the mask on and it's difficult for him to to emote properly. Um, so I wanted to give the actor the opportunity to show this with his face that you know yes. I, I'm not going to kill you. So Conchu is very pissed off because Conchu is bloodthirsty and he, wants wants death, death, death. Exactly. Um, he says, "I took off my mask. Now it's time for you to do the same." Yeah. And this is pulled straight from the Houston run. Yep. He carves Bushman's face off with the dart. Yes, I, I like it again. I like how you tied it in to this this message. Like you know, it kind of works seamlessly through it, and and at the same time, it, it ties in and nods to obviously the Moon Knight comics with the Houston run. So very cool here. Um, so yeah, he obviously takes off his mask, and he literally takes off Bushman's mask as well, which we know is his face. Now the thing here, Anthony, though, this, this actually. It always still shocks me that, you know, a hero will carve off the face of, of a villain, whether it's in the comics or the script here. He does it here. Uh, Marlene's horrified. Um, now, look, initially, you know, to be honest, I thought, like, this is far worse than him just killing Bushman, right? Because um, he's writhing and Absolutely. in pain and all that. But uh, Mark manages to convince Marlene that, you know, um, basically this is what I'm doing instead. And, and, and then off they go um, as the cops show up. Um, so Bushman's left in a terrible state um, with the the moniker of a Moon Knight Crescent Dart as uh, obviously calling card. Again, another little touch to the Mensch run. Yep, exactly. Just all those little Easter eggs that I had throughout the thing. I really, because again, the original story was so brilliantly done that I really, you know, it's one of those things, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. So I wasn't really trying to reinvent the wheel. I just wanted to incorporate everything as best as I could mm-hmm. and then go from there uh, with it. Really, really good. Uh, yeah, I, I really do love the, um, I don't know, can, do you call it fan service then uh, of this, as you're saying, the little Easter eggs? Um, really, uh, Sort of, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's fan service, but it's fan service that, that makes sense. Yeah. It's logical and organic. To yeah, the story, yeah, so. exactly. Not not just for the sake of it, you know, not just for the sake I'm just going to drop it in. Yeah, that's what I meant uh, earlier, how it kind of seamless, it, it ties in with 
what you're trying to what you're trying to tell and what you set up earlier, which is um which is pretty good, pretty good. So anyway, it ends on um then back at the mansion. There's um they're just they're sparring, um and there's another just a final scene with um at the table all the four uh, getting along, all the four identities, um and no one well everyone just willingly leaves the head spot, um just just bare. So. In there, I guess the the message is that um, there's a bit of peace um, between all the four identities, not one dominant over the other. Yeah, it's it, you know he's he's figured out how to peacefully coexist amongst his own head, and so it's a little more comfortable for him. So all of the various identities will get along and they cooperate because they understand that they're all part of the larger gestalt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so if, if he has to be Steven, all right, then Steven takes over and then, okay, yes. now I need to be Jake and then Jake takes over and so on. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of good because it, it kind of, it, it sets him up for, I guess the, the parts two and part three where, where this conflict has, has resolved in, in some sense. So, um, yeah, no, that, that's good. Not to say that it could, you know, trigger off again, who knows, but, um, there's a nice sense of closure here by having that, um, that table, uh, with a willing, willing, uh, vacant spot at the head. Um, really good. And then it's, it ends off, um, Anthony with, uh, we, we do a round kind of thing, a, a cyclical thing. And yeah, the book ends, he's back on patrol. He's back on patrol. Said, you know, yeah. they ask, you know, why, why do I do this? Why would I want to live any other way? Yeah. And then uh, he sees uh, someone getting mugged, and he jumps off, uh, off the roof, um, into into the camera, and that's the that's the end of the script. So, um, yeah, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff packed in here, Anthony. Uh, as I mentioned, what I really do love is how you've kind of threaded um, the the fan like the the fan stuff, like the the comic related stuff, uh, kind of making it into your own and and using it. Um, uh, to kind of further your ideas of, of things that you've set up before. So, yeah, very, very, uh, very good read indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to write, um, just a lot of fun to come up with all the different ideas and to figure out a way to incorporate it all uh, in a way that made sense, that was organic to the story, that does uh, that does a service to the characters that we've all uh, come to love and know over the years mm-hmm. and really, uh, you know, just make a, a cool film that I think could appeal to a large number of people. Um, so, yeah, um, most definitely. Um, and I guess the, the only question is, Anthony, when when's um, part two and part three coming going out? <laughs> uh, well, you know, like I said, I could I could sit down and start coming up with with part two. I have so many ideas for part two. Yeah. Um, I I really think if if I were to do it, I would want to sit down and get back into the flow of writing this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, you know, maybe I might be able to do. Uh, my wife is is currently pregnant. She's due in a couple of weeks, and probably by the time this episode comes out, mm-hmm. my son will have been born. Yep. And uh, so I'll be home, mm-hmm. and while she's sleeping and while my son is sleeping, whatever, I'll have time on my hands yep. um, so I can perhaps uh, get back into the flow of writing. And who knows, maybe I'll I'll make a follow-up appearance and I'll tell you sort of what's to come for for Moon Knight in, in Moon Knight Two, Fist of Kanchu. Yes. So. Yeah, cool. That'd be that'd be absolutely awesome. So, Loonies, that was um, that was Anthony's um script. Now, like, I haven't discussed it with you, Anthony, as well. So, what I'm going to say, just um, because I'll leave it obviously to your discretion, um, because it is your property. Uh, any Loonies that are keen on on reading this script, um, 
uh, in the show notes, we'll have contacts of how to reach Anthony. If you want to, um, drop him a line. Uh, and look, Anthony, I'll just leave it at your discretion. I know that we haven't discussed it. Um, yeah, and uh, it's a really good read. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a, it makes it exciting to, to kind of – it's kind of one step – um, towards having Moon Knight or, or, you know, the thought of having Moon Knight on screen. So um, I'd like to thank you, Anthony, so much for, for joining uh, me tonight. I know it's been a pleasure, Ray. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, I always appreciate listening to your show uh, every week. Oh, thank uh, it's, it's great. Thank you. So you and Connery, guys, uh, you have an amazing job, and I'm looking forward to, to, you know, future episodes. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And so for our spectacle, our show notes, um, obviously I'd like to shout out Capes on the Couch podcast where comics get counseling. That's where you can find Anthony. That's where you can hear his dulcet tones, speaking with his good friend, Doc Issues, all to do with comic book characters who uh, have a bit of trouble up there, upstairs. Um, I'd like to also then just extend this. Anthony, is there a podcast that you'd like to give a shout-out to? Um, and we'll add the show notes as well for them. Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to our friends at Popcorn Psychology. Mm-hmm. We did have the crossover uh, with them uh, on the Incredible Hulk episode. And so they are uh, good friends of ours. We, we interact constantly. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are available. Uh, you can find them on Twitter at popcorn underscore psych. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe they're distributed through uh, Spreaker. Um, oh, but yes. basically, if you just do a, a, a internet search for popcorn psychology, uh, it's Hannah, Brittany, and Ben. And they are three therapists out of Chicago. Oddly enough, Chicago. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so they analyze blockbuster films much in the way that we analyze comic book characters. They talk about uh, films and what the psychology of, of the characters in those films are. So they, they've done a large number of comic book movies. They did Logan, Captain America Civil War, Batman Begins, Ooh, um, be et cetera, et cetera. So they, they do an amazing job. And, and we were on their show and we talked about the Incredible Hulk, the, uh, the Edward Norton film, not the ah. Eric Bana one. Oh, cool! Now that would be that would have been good. Oh, the Eric Banner one would have so, been interesting as well, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, lot there, lot to unpack. Yeah, a lot to unpack, definitely. Um, yeah, great. So, uh, popcorn psychology. Um, just check the info for sh- um, on our show notes for that. Uh, next phase, the the moon will be in its last quarter, Looney. So we'll be having our avatars of vengeance. It's a review on uh, video game-related stuff. Uh, nothing set in stone as yet, so keep an eye on our weekly newsletter to figure out what Connor and I will be chatting about. I do hope it is about the Moon Knight pinball game, because I've been playing that. That's been, that's been pretty fun. Uh, that's a good one, yeah. yeah you played as well? Yep, yep, yeah, I've, yeah. I've played it. It's not something I play regularly. Last night, though, interestingly enough, my wife and I were playing Lego Marvel Avengers. Oh, And yeah. so I was definitely running around <laughs> as Moon Knight quite a bit. Oh, yeah, I wonder. I wonder who. <laughs> um, excellent. Um, and so, actually, that wraps up our show. Um, basically, loonies, you can catch us on email, itkmoonnight at gmail.com. We've got a website, intothenightpodcast.wordpress.com. We're on Facebook. Uh, we've got a page, facebook.com slash itkmoonnight, and a fantastic group, which um, Anthony is a is a loony in there. He's an Omega-level loony at uh, facebook.com slash groups slash itkmoonnight. We're on Twitter, uh, at itkmoonnight, um, and incidentally, yeah, Capes on the Couch. And uh, as, as you mentioned, Anthony, Popcorn Psychology, they're quite active on Twitter, so you can easily find them there as well. Um, and we're on Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube. Just search for Into the Night, a Moonnight podcast. 
uh, iTunes ratings. Um, if you'd be so kind, uh, a, a five-star review would be good. Uh, if not, um, we always look to improve ourselves, so let us know what you think of the show uh, and how we can uh, make it um, yeah, make it better. Um, and finally, we're on all good podcast catches, so the likes of Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, blah, 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 Stitcher, Spotify, all that jazz. Look, if you're listening to us now, then you've already got your podcast catcher. But uh, tell your friends. So um, so anyway, once again, th- Anthony, thank you so much for your time. I know we've run over time, so I do apologize for that. But I do hope it hasn't. Oh, that's okay. I could never talk for, about Moon Knight long enough. So <laughs> I appreciate just having the opportunity to talk about him at all. Yeah, oh, oh, no, no, it's an absolute pleasure from us. And it's, uh, it's so much fun talking about this script. So um, I'd like to maybe one day have you on, on our Isla Ra sessions. Um, it was really interesting to hear about you at the top of the show. Uh, I'd like to dig deeper. Um, um, talking about your comics, um, you know, your loves, uh, and, and more about Moon Knight. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you can on that. Definitely. Awesome. Definitely. I, I look forward to it. Awesome. Anytime you want me, I'll be happy, more than happy to come back. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, be sure to have our other high priest, Connor, with us. So without loonies, thank you so much for listening. And as always, may Conchu watch over the denizens of the night. Catch you later. Moonites and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Materials used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners.